I would like big organisations, if you like, to think more about taking on people with disabilities because, you know, it's not about the disability at Clarity, it's about the ability. And I just wish other organisations would give people like us a chance um, because there are so many disabled people unemployed. I know that isn't my story, but it's just the way I feel in general. But I've been lucky and I believe that other people should have the same opportunity, you know, wherever they go. Hi and welcome to Beauty from the Heart. This is a place where I, Rose Gallagher, am going to share conversations with some of the best people I've met through years of working in the beauty industry. This first series is dedicated to people that I think are inspiring positive change and using their voices for the power of good. I'm so excited for you to hear today's episode because the brand I'm talking to today, Biko, is actually the brand that inspired this entire podcast. So you're going to hear a little bit about the products that they make in a minute and I'll let Camilla, the co-founder, tell you a little bit more about those. But actually why Biko stand out to me and why I thought they were such an important contribution to the podcast is that their business model is designed to support people that need a bit of extra support and it is literally that simple. So within their workforce they work with blind disabled disadvantaged people and essentially have culminated a working environment that means that those people that would struggle to get jobs elsewhere are really supported and nurtured half of those people will stay there for life it's a perfect fit and it just works the other half will be you know mentored and supported and upskilled to find jobs elsewhere and for me this is just a really great story of how we can all have a little bit more patience and kindness and make a huge difference so i'll pass over to camilla and michael to tell you all about Biko. So we're here at the Clarity and Co offices in Walthamstow with quite frankly a lovely owl on the <laughs> desk in front of us. Is this your desk? No, it's not. I don't usually sit down much, but I don't know whose desk this is, but it's fantastic <laughs> and it's my favourite desk in the room. Um I'm joined by Camilla the founder of Beco, which is an amazing social enterprise, which fundamentally makes soaps, great soaps that you're going to use, you know, in every asset of your everyday routine. But actually, the whole workforce here is comprised of disadvantaged, disabled or visually impaired people. And essentially, the more soaps that we buy, the more jobs it creates for people that really need them. Um, I first came to the charity just before Christmas and just fell in love with everyone here with the story. I'm lucky that my local supermarket has Beco products in it so I can pick them up all the time. And um, I'm just obsessed with the brand. You were actually the whole inspiration for this entire podcast. So Camilla, you didn't always start in this charitable world um i'd love to kind of open by learning a bit about you and what you used to do prior to the world of Beco. culture in the uk means that if you've got hi by the way good morning hello hi. sorry hello. yes good morning <laughs> like into the serious bit no i'm in i'm ready um yeah i um 
I did well at school. So that meant that um, like first year after university, I was at some investment bank doing an internship and, you know, it just rolls after that. You're expected to go join a, a like a firm in the city somewhere. And um, yeah, I lapped it up, worked at um, a management consulting firm for a couple of years, worked with big businesses like uh, Vodafone, NPower, Lloyds Bank, all of the, you know, the big brands in the UK. And um, I, I was working really hard, but just I didn't know why. Um, and I think that's the same for far too many people. Yeah. Um, and some of us can sit back and go, yeah, but it's a nice lifestyle and, and whatever. And I had a really nice lifestyle. It was great. Um, so I did a couple of years of that and then, um, got promoted to a level when I had to start selling stuff. Um, and then you have to really question, right? Like, is yeah. this really stuff you want to be doing with your life? Um, and so, uh, the, the week I got promoted, um, I decided to leave. Um, and everyone said, but this is, you know, you can get a house and stuff now. And I was like, if I get used to this salary, I'm never leaving. So yeah. um, I upped and left and um, went over to India. I've worked in India a couple of times in the last few years. Um, and so I thought like charity, you know, international development was what I wanted to do. Um, when I was there, I decided actually that's probably not quite what I want to do either. Um, and and so came Social Enterprise just after that. And so when you first went to India, what had kind of started to ignite that change? Was there a moment or did you just always have a feeling like something's not quite sitting with me here? Um, I know that I can make money. I know that I know how to run businesses. I know that I can listen to what people want. And so I've got these skills that just felt totally wasted um, in the international development sector. I deeply care and I feel this just incredible sense of like justice or whatever words other people would use. But for me, it's, it's justice, but I just couldn't put them to use in a non-commercial space. So I'd love to actually touch on, um, the relationship between you and your niece, because I know that that is something that really inspired your vision for Biko um, and kind of a vision for a more mindful workplace, exactly like what you've just described. Yeah, she's uh, she's 20 now. She's turning 21 this year. In my mind, she's still a teenager. And um, I was about 13 when she was born. We knew straight away that there were there were some complications. She was born more than three months premature, sort of fighting in and out of hospital for a couple of years before we realised that um, she had cerebral palsy. She was struggling to sit up when she was younger and... Um, the chance of her walking just continued to diminish into her teenage years. I think having a disability and I mean, just being a teenager in general right now, I would it's not want to It's the most frightening thing in the whole oh world. God, absolutely. Um, but layered on top of that, having a disability that means you can't get to the toilet on your own um, at secondary school and, you, you know, you can't do what your friends are doing, um, led then to sort of more on the mental health um, side. Um, and she's very open, actually, about some of the challenges around eating disorders. And um, I, I mean, there's, you know, she's she's having a hard time. But through all of that, I think there's just so much worth in work yeah. to give people focus in life, um, to make sure that they have the opportunity to be independent. Um, it's like the second question that anyone ever asks. It's like, hi, what's your name? Yeah, my name's Camilla. Oh, what do you do? Um, and there's yeah. like millions of people that um, don't feel comfortable in social situations because they don't have answers to some of these basic questions. And we put we put so much emphasis on this in our society. Um, so I want to give people that want to work the opportunity to work. It's as, sim it's as simple as that, right? If people want to work, our society should provide work. You know, 
work hard. Like I was always brought up to work hard, like whatever you do, just work hard. Um, and, um, yeah, for my niece, partly to prove a bit of a point, <laughs> yeah. um, I decided to get into this world, um, to really help create a lot of jobs for people with disabilities. And I hope that includes my niece at one point in the future or people like my niece that are struggling and probably living half a mile away from our factory over yeah. here in East London. So let's see what we can do. By government stats, there's 393,000 people with disabilities actively seeking work right now. But by scopes measures, over a million people with disabilities actively seeking. Maybe they're not on Job Seekers Allowance, but they want to work and they can't find the right work. And there's 14 million people in the UK with a disability. So these numbers are big um, and they should cause some urgency. In my mind, we should feel like this is an urgent challenge to solve. So, um, yeah, here we are. Let's do more. It's it's so fascinating because I know from the last time I was here, speaking to some of the team members um, within the workforce, lots of them said that they really wanted to work for many reasons, just the enjoyment of having a job. It's so ridiculous to me that these resources aren't there and there's so many big companies I know full well would have the money and resource to put these measures into place and it's just such a strange thing to me as why haven't they just done that if I look at your factory and some of the team members that I was fortunate enough to meet lots of them have skill sets that just lend themselves so well to this environment and actually they're a huge asset to the team and I know that's what you see as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like there's um I met Ozzy last time, <laughs> who is just is it Ozzy that can literally tell you by sight to a millimetre what the soaps are? He probably can. He probably can. He spent years down there on that soap line. Absolutely. But like what a skill set, who yeah. else would be able to <laughs> and that's the kind of thorough person you need in a capacity like that. But um, some of the stats blew me away, like you've just said there. One of the ones that I read was that kind of two thirds of people with a visual impairment are out of work. Yeah, about 70%. Yeah. It's, it's you know, crazy. Yeah. And absolutely crazy, changes. especially now when we live in a world with iPhones, um, with like so much uh, recognition software for text and whatever. So you don't have to wander around the supermarket and be like, I wonder what's out there. There's apps that, that do this stuff. Um, so we we need to use tech more. And actually with tech, and you've just met Michael and his guide dog, um, with dogs and tech, then why can a visually impaired person not live a, a full and, you know, a life just, just like I do, you know, there's no, there's no reason not to. And you speak to the team here and they're like, well, actually I'm bloody lucky. You know, there's a lot of very positive people with disabilities They're They're not the, the, oh, I'm struggling and feeling sorry for myself that people assume that's no. not always, obviously some people do, but some people without disabilities struggle and have a hard time. And some people who we perceive as having everything have actually significant mental health conditions, even with their 2.4 kids, their seven bedroom house and their fancy job. So happiness and appreciation for being alive is not in any way linked to whether you have or don't have a disability. If you want to work, put your hand up, let's get working. And I think it's a true assumption. And sometimes people don't even realise what they're saying. But say my brother Brendan is very severely autistic. And if I'm talking about that for the first time, someone might go, oh, what a shame. And mm. I know they mean well, but actually that's not a shame to me. That's my brother as I know him. We all like him just the way he is. And you just assume it's a negative thing, but there's loads of positives that we have from Brendan being the way he is. Mm. Like I only see it as that's 
my brother the only way I've ever known him. Yeah, and it's language is changing now. Like we start to talk about learning differences and go, oh, actually, there's a whole spectrum of people that learn in a different way. Yeah. Actually, some phenomenal skills that got things that I couldn't even dream of doing. Um, and if our society can start to harness those things and we can start to appreciate people for what they're really, really good at, then um, I think we'd be in a much better place, wouldn't we? So let's come back to the soaps themselves, the actual products that you're making here, which are, you know, organic, vegan. There's so many amazing properties that are going into the products themselves. Um, where did the vision come for soaps? I mean, pick another product that everyone uses every day. Fair point. I mean, we drink water, but that, in my mind, is a public good. And there are lots of social enterprises involved in water already. But um, yeah, you know, whether you're at work or, or whatever, everyone's using soap every day. So let's pick something, a commodity, and let's, let's reframe that commodity to mean something. Um, let's start encouraging people to expect more from everything they buy. The t-shirts, the trainers, the coffee, the chocolate. Um, there's actually social enterprises now doing loads of these different things, which I think is really exciting. But um, I'm glad we chose soap because um, I'm, let's sell it to everyone. And it's something you need to replenish. Like mm. I find I get mm. through mine and you need to get another one. And it's, I suppose, something that if we can switch people on to Beco then it's going to continue that they'll continue supporting the charity because they'll always need to replenish it. Um, and it is fundamentally because you're running a social enterprise, the more soaps that we can sell, the more jobs it's going to create, the more opportunities it will bring you here. So simple. What are some of the things that more funding would equate to for this workforce? Oh, um, so <laughs> the biggest thing right now is that um, our sales team probably... Um, probably have well they do absolutely they're, they're full every day just with inbound inquiries businesses are coming to us mm -hmm. and so if we had more funding and as we grow we can just accelerate the growth and then employ loads more people but sales is at the like the front of the funnel you know sales and marketing and all we need to do it's not the hard sell all we do is tell the story yeah tell the story explain why we're doing what we're doing and that there is no compromise in these products and then you know, the rest will do do the job for itself, you know. Um, so it's the easiest sales job in the world. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's like the busiest sales job in the world as well. And, and I love the fact, actually, that I don't have to feel guilty about trying to sell our product. Because yes. for lots of people, sales is a bit of a dirty word. It's like, oh, I'm a salesperson. But, you know, we do a lot of different stuff. But selling is a big part of it. I call it storytelling. But call it what you like. And you don't have to name any names. But... Is there a particular person or story that comes to mind when you think of your workforce or team and think of an amazing positive change that this has brought to them or a story that you thought, bloody hell, I'm doing a great thing here? Yeah, definitely won't name names. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, there's so many things about my job that's fairly non-standard, but when you get a call out of hours by someone that's really struggling and wondering, you know, what their place is in the world, like... Um, I'm pleased to pick up the phone. Some people have a really hard time and there's too many humans on this planet that don't have anyone to talk to. So let's make ourselves available to, to just talk, to connect with, with people that might need just a, a helping hand, a boost or just an, a, an ear. Um, but there's been a number of other stories of, um, of staff, you know, someone 
someone that was with us last year and um, he had had a stroke in 2008 and he learned to walk again, you know, um, and he was doing like fairly administrative work back then, um, like, you know, in the early 2000s. And so imagine being out of work for that 10 years, like 2008 to, to like 2018 and um, coming back into work and realizing that shit, everything's digital, yeah. <laughs> everything's digital. And you've now got the use of like one arm rather than two because the stroke affected permanently um, half of your body. And um, yeah, um, I was really pleased to get him back into work. Yeah. yeah. And I would love to sit with every staff member and hear their stories, um, you know, over a couple of pints, I think you could, could learn a lot, but everyone's got so much to share and um, so much willing to help others that are less fortunate than themselves. Because I think there's a real recognition that if you're working here, you're one of the lucky ones. You're one of the lucky ones in a supportive environment um, with that sense of purpose, but there's countless um, people that don't have that. So uh, let's be grateful for what we have, which is a great start in life any day of the week. And do you think that, I mean... I say the beauty industry when I frame this question because I suppose I would see soap as an extension of hygiene and a kind of well-being beauty realm. Um, do you think that there is anybody in kind of the wider space, whether it's a brand or a person, that you're looking at at the moment and thinking you're making a positive change, you're doing a great thing? So many. I wouldn't know where to start. I'm going to try and start. Even a few off the yeah, top yeah. of your head well, that we well, can all have a look at. There's like a hundred thousand social enterprises in the UK, but there's probably a couple of hundred really, really strong brands that are thriving, growing, um, all with their own social or environmental cause. Um, Elvis and Cressy, I think, is a great example um, that I'm hoping there'll they'll be a partnership on the cards in the future. They don't know it yet. We don't really know it yet, but I, <laughs> I think I think there's something to come. But they take um, like uh, used fire hoses and parachutes and turn them into like really nice like handbags, wash bags and, and the like. Um, what I would really like for us all to do is is start helping more charities become commercially viable because there's a load of new fun social enterprises great brands out there and then there's all these charities that really understand social impact they mm -hmm. they don't question their 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 why um they maybe just need some some help with the how um i really encourage more people to do things like we're doing here and go oh wow there's all these charities and they're already employing people or um they're already helping people in this way how can we make them more commercially viable because realistically their funding is being cut left right and center people are changing the way they give money to charities and we've got to turn charities in my mind into social enterprises it's business right but it's business for good and in my mind it's in the future we'll just call it business and the rest will be called very bad dirty yeah. business <laughs> if there was one thing that you would say camilla that someone listening to this could do to just generally make a better contribution to the world i feel like when i met you and had the first kind of experience of walk in the factory and discovering this business you are undoubtedly making a really really positive change what can someone do to make a positive change that's listening in any not just run a business or set up a charity what can we all do i just want people to start acting there's a lot of talk and there's not enough living the values that you talk so um, I just encourage people to make those tiny little changes. We can't do everything, but like just little baby steps, but start acting, treat 
people differently that you pass on the street um, think about what you're putting into your body and how that affects your mental health and all of this stuff but um i think this is in my mind 2019 the year of human connection sounds really cheesy but i just want to start talking to people um and i want more people to start talking to people let's get some more eye contact on the tube you know yeah. all of this stuff I'm, I'm that weird person that's going to lead the way. If you see someone randomly staring at you on the tube, I'm not staring, I'm just smiling. Everything's fine. Let's just um, enjoy life a bit more. We can sort this little mess that we've created out. I'm sure we can. Amazing. Okay. Camilla, thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for everything you've done already and everything you're going to do long into the future to help us create a lot of jobs. It's really, really impactful and I'm ever grateful. I was so pleased that Camilla was able to share her story with me because she really had a profound impact on me when I met her. Um, She was so open and really just spoke from the heart from the get-go when I first went to visit them. But another person that really stuck out to me when I first went to Beko was this lovely guy called Michael. So I met Michael and he's just so charming and cheeky and full of jokes. And when I came to do the podcast, I actually asked, would they um, speak to Michael and ask if he'd come on as a guest because I just knew that he would be the perfect person to capture the story as well so luckily for me Michael said yes he was also joined by his gorgeous new guide Doug so we had a lovely little furry loving in Beko this morning but here's Michael telling his story of what it's like to actually be part of the team here how long have you worked here for? I've worked here for five years. And what were you doing before? I worked for local authority before. Mm-hmm. A similar setup. It was a, a sheltered environment, yeah. but run by local authority right. rather than a charity. We used to produce kitchen furniture and double glazed windows for the local authority, which I worked in. Okay. I worked for. I worked there for thirty-five years. Wow. Um, and I progressed throughout. Um, I used to work on a shop floor when I had more sight. I used to operate all the machinery. And then my sight started to deteriorate. Then I studied to become a supervisor. So then I supervised the assembly of kitchen furniture. Then I worked in a warehouse, supervising the warehouse, which I loved. And then I worked in procurement. I used to all the buying for all the raw materials for the double glazed windows and the kitchen furniture. So I used to love negotiating with suppliers. They used to come in, you know, bring new products in to to see and discuss. So, yes, um, unfortunately, the council kept, you know, putting vast loads of money into organisation. And, you know, it was just losing money hand over fist and that to close it. Aww. Yeah, so, which was a shame. And I never thought I'd get another job at all because my age... Uh, I was in my mid-50s at the time. My sight was deteriorating as well. Depression set in as well because I just didn't want to do anything, want to go out, talk to anybody. Just didn't even family or friends. I've got some very close friends, you know, like 40 years. And I just didn't want to talk to speak to anybody at all. Um, and then um, I did a bit of charity work, which really helped me, helped my confidence. And then this came along. Um, and how did you hear about this? Uh, I, to be honest, um, I heard about it through a union, disabled union, the National League of the Blind and Disabled, mm-hmm. uh, which we had in our other organisation. I phoned up and spoke to the uh, CEO and came along, interview, 
and here I am. And here you are. <laughs> and what do you do here now, Michael? But presently, I'm, I'm a yeah. team leader. Again, they've been very supportive to me. When I first came, I worked on, on the line, um, and then I progressed to pick and pack. And then I became a team leader, which I, it means I sort of organise the lines. So if we have a, a product to run, I have to look at the uh, works order. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I can't read the works order because I haven't got enough sight, um, I have uh, an aid like called Access to Work. It's a government sort of type um, scheme. And, they, and I have someone for two hours a day to come and help me do the reading. Oh, so they come every single day? Well, I've got two hours a day, but some days I might not use it. Right, so and you it, can build you, it you up. You can build it up. So okay. it depends on, on the workload. But they're my eyes, so because obviously I've got to look at the works order, they read out what's required, they bring all the materials down, then we have to organise the staff. People have all different skill sets, so you have to know yeah. what staff to put where because some things are easier for other people, obviously. Um, to do so we organize all of that we make sure the line's running correctly and then i have to get all the labels for the products again i need assistance with that because i'm not able to read what the labels say and then we have to yeah then it all goes back into the warehouse and what's your favorite thing about working here i love what i do actually I, i do enjoy what i do i enjoy the people here it gives me a purpose um i look forward to coming to work um, whereby the other place I used to work, towards the end it wasn't very nice, you know, because there's redundancies here and there and all that, you know. But here, no, it's, it's quite friendly. You know, you have your off days sometimes. We're, we're, we're all human, you know <laughs> we what I mean? We all do, yeah. Well, of course, it's, you know. But um, no, I, I just like the camaraderie. I, I, I enjoy working. I want to work. I mean, five years ago, I could have just gone on to the benefit system, but I didn't want to. I wanted to work, you know. Because that's just me. It's what I am. Um, keeps me occupied. Yeah. Um, my depression's got slightly better from it. I'm not so depressed like I used to be because I've got a purpose now. And also I've got my dog now as well, so that's even better. Oh, yeah. So it's um, – no, it's all good, actually. As I say, it's um, – and they've really helped me through that journey. <laughs> they've really helped me through the journey since I've been here. I've been blessed, really. I'm very lucky. Oh, Amazing. That was good timing. Um, (laughs) I've pretty much asked you everything that I wanted to ask you, but is there any other parts of your story that you want to share? I want you to feel like if there's anything you really want to get across, you have the opportunity to. The the, the only thing I'd like to see, if I'm honest, is that I would like um, big organisations, if you like, you know, to think more about taking on people with disabilities because clarity do it. You know, it's not about the disability at Clarity. It's about the ability, and we yeah. produce a, a, a great product or products, if you like. You know, um, and I just wished other organisations would give people like us a chance. You know, um, because there are so many disabled people unemployed, and I'm sure that these big companies could do more to actually employ disabled people. I know that isn't my story, but it's just the way I feel in general, you know. Um, I say because I've had a lot of help here and, you know, I've, I've, I've been lucky and I believe that other people should have the same opportunity, you know, wherever they go. 
Thank you, Michael. That is just perfect. Well, it's not perfect, but it's... No, it's lovely. <laughs> I couldn't have wished for... Um, what I've kind of tried to say to everyone is just speak from the heart and say yeah. everything as you would say it to someone else and you've just been really open with us. So. No, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a caring person and I am and it's nice, you know, and I wish people would be the same. Not everyone, I mean, our people are the same, don't get me wrong, you know, but a lot of people, like, they're aggressive and I suppose they've got a lot of things on their mind, haven't they, you know? Um, I think everyone has a lot of things on their mind, but I think people forget that other people do as well. Yeah. What can we do? Yeah. We can just do the best we can. Yeah. So one day (laughs) we'll live in that lovely world where everyone gets on and people are nice to each other. That's all. Just be happy. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And one of the things I would say of all the brands that we've got on the podcast, Beko really needs your support. So if you loved this episode, please just spread the word. They're still quite new. Any little social media mention or word of mouth mention is going to hugely support them. You can pick them up in Waitrose, Sainsbury's, the Co-op, EthicalSuperstore.com, or most most recently boots um, and just ask a few questions you know if your child's school can supply Beko soaps if your workplace can change their soap to Beko I'm sure there's a few small changes that we could all make to really give them a lot of extra support next week we're going to be with David Petrusic from Herbivore Botanicals they are such a lovely green clean beauty brand and they do so much within the LGBT community so I think you're going to love that story um, I love hearing from you and how you're enjoying the podcast so please reach out at mixgemsbeauty on Instagram at rosegallaherxx on Twitter or just leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening on that would be amazing too okay thank you so much and I look forward to speaking to you next week